Amen. Take your copy of God's Word, if you will, and turn to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 6, this morning. As we uh, continue to talk about our relationship to God through prayer. Certainly, prayer is essential to the relationship we have with God above. If you have a relationship with anybody, one of the ways you build that relationship is through talking to them. You want to get to know them. They want to get to know you. In order for that relationship to blossom, somehow you have to come and you have to just communicate. You have to talk. And that's what prayer is. Prayer, very simply, is talking to God. Just being real with Him and who He is and recognizing that He is a real person that wants to communicate with us and that He is our Father. As we began our study last week of the model prayer or the disciples' prayer, we saw Jesus as He taught His disciples how to pray. He said that you come before God and you recognize Him first as your Father. You say, Our Father. And then, as he continues to teach his disciples, he teaches them not just about the intimacy of the relationship, but he teaches them also about the holiness of God, the character of God, and how it is expressed in our relationship. So, again, I want to focus just a few moments on this prayer, but I want to specifically cover this idea of talking to a holy God. And I think you find it here in the beginning of the model prayer. Again, Jesus said, this is how you pray, okay? He said, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I want to stop there today. I know I see a look of concern. Some of you think, if he stops just with this much every Sunday, we're going to be here through the end of 2017. I see you thinking that now. But I think it is important to focus on these phrases in particular. Our Father, as I said, that communicates intimacy. But also, when you hear Jesus praying, he recognizes that there is a distance between God and humanity. He says, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So I want to take these two phrases in particular, which art in heaven and hallowed be thy name, and I want to flesh that out and, and really what it, what it means to our prayer life. So... Here we come, we hear what Jesus said, and as we try to digest that, as we try to internalize this, we recognize that he says that we are talking to a holy God. Okay, that's this idea of which art in heaven. Our Father which art in heaven. So I want you to see this. As we come to pray to God, I think basically what we have to recognize and what maybe we even say is, hey God... We know you're holy. We know that you are different. Yes, you are our Father, but you are our Father, which art in heaven. You're different. Now, what does the word holy mean? You know, holy can be one of those church words that we use so often, and yet it has no meaning to us. I don't mean that the wrong way, but I'm just saying there are church words we use sometimes, and we just use them so repeatedly that we forget what the meaning is or maybe we've never really dove into what the meaning of the word is holy means set apart just different and when you talk about the holiness of god you recognize that he is just 
different. In theological terms, he has been called the holy other. He is just different than us. And when I talk about God's holiness, I recognize that I'm talking about God being different, being set apart both morally and positionally. That means in who he is, in his righteousness, he's just different from us. When we recognize that he is morally pure, he is holy. But we also recognize that he is positionally different from us, that he is God above. He is so much more than we are. Let me break it down into these terms. I love talking to you, and I hope that you love talking to me. I hope so. It's great to communicate with other people. Again, God is a person. We spoke about that last week. We talked about him being an intimate person. He is the father. But we also recognize when we talk to God, he's a different, he is a holy other person. Let me, again, I say I'm going to break it down. So I'll do it for you this way in a simple term. I love talking to Dale. I do, don't you? Especially about ice cream. He knows so much about ice cream. I love talking to him about that. He usually knows when the sales are on at Super One or County Market. He knows all about those things. So I love, I benefit from communicating with him. But I hope that you would agree with me today. I hope you would. That I am thankful God is not like Dale. Right? Aren't you proud God's different than Dale? I'll put it to you that way. See, some of you don't know what to say. It's okay, folks. It's fine. You can say amen on that. Yes, absolutely. Hey, I'm proud God's not like Reggie. I'm proud. (laughs) Folks in the gathering, you can't hear all of this down here, but I'll tell you what, these folks, they're they're treading on thin ice. You know, amening, never mind, I'm going on. God is just different. He is holy, and and, and that's good. I am proud that he's not like you, and he's not like me. Because he is morally set apart. He is positionally set apart. See, this is what I recognize when I go before him. He is holy. I am not. I'm not. In my best days, in my best days, the righteousness that I demonstrate on my own, the righteousness that I have is nothing more than filthy rags before a holy God. That's what the scripture teaches us. So when I come before him to pray, I say, God, I know you are holy. I know you are so much different, more different than I am. And than any other human being that I have ever met before. I'm so thankful that when I come to you, I'm not coming to a, just an average human that is given to the weakness of this world. I'm not coming to a broken, failed creature like we are i am coming to an individual a person that is holy in all of his ways holy in his position above us i am coming to you recognizing that holiness it makes the difference in the way we approach him in worship and in prayer it helps us to keep a balance And that's really what Jesus has given us here in this prayer, isn't he? He's saying, on one hand, he is our father. So know that you can come to him. 
Know that you can cry out to him. Know that he has your best interest in mind, that he wants to pursue his glory and your good. When you come to him, you come to him with that sense of confidence that he has a personal relationship. So on one hand, you have that, but also always balance it out with this idea that he is so much different than we are. He is so much more powerful. He is so much, he is so holy. That's a balance that's hard to keep sometimes. But it is necessary if we are to have the right relationship with God. Sometimes we see it, maybe we can see it most clearly, that balance in our worship. So think about the different songs that we sing. Um, He is Lord, we sang a moment ago here in the sanctuary. I think up in the gathering, they sang King of My Heart. Those songs, like some others, maybe some of your favorite hymns, like How Great Thou Art, uh, are holy, holy, holy. Or maybe, again, if you think Great is the Lord, a new contemporary song, those songs communicate the transcendence of our God. That's what we call it, again, in theological terms. He is transcendent. He's totally different. But we also sing other songs. There's an old hymn called, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. You've heard of that song? That communicates the intimacy that we have or the imminency that we have with God. Maybe we talk about that song, You're a Friend to Sinners. Or maybe that old classic in the garden where he walks with me and he talks with me. That idea, he's right there. So you see, in our worship, we try to get a balance between God being our Father and that He's close, and also at the same time, He is so much greater, and He is so different from who we are. We do that in our worship. I say to you, it is necessary in our prayer life as well. We come to Him with that sense of balance. We come to Him recognizing that, yes, He is imminent, He is close, But, oh, he is our father, which is in heaven as well. He is distant. He is so much different from us. Well, that holiness is communicated all throughout Scripture. And you've seen those moments where people have responded to that holiness. Maybe one of the greatest chapters that demonstrate this is Isaiah chapter 6. In the year King Uzziah died, when the people were mourning, Isaiah the prophet, in a sense, was mourning, What did God do? God demonstrated his majesty and his grandeur. There's this vision Isaiah has. He looks, and what does he see? He sees God God high and lifted up on the throne, the true king. And he sees all of these creatures coming around, pronouncing the holiness of this God. Holy, holy is this God. Isaiah recognizes that immense holiness you see it again throughout the passages of scripture but even as you arrive to the final book of the of the bible in revelation chapter 5 it says there as they recognize the worthiness of the lamb the worthiness of jesus christ the people fall down they cry out to him concerning his worthiness and concerning his holiness 
I say to you, when we come to him in prayer, we have to say, God, we recognize you're different. You're holy. You're so much more different than we are. And Lord, we are good with that. We are proud that you are not just another human being, but that you are the king of this whole universe. And that you are totally different from us. You are a God. We approach him in that way. It really does impact the way we pray when we think of his holiness. You know, even in the way we posture ourselves, right? Notice this morning when Brother Ivan came to the sanctuary, at least here in the blended service, when he prayed, most all of you automatically bowed your head, right? Most of you did. I think you did. I didn't have mine up looking at you, but I'm thinking you did. It's just natural. It, that's some, why, do we, why do we bow our head when we pray? It is a visible expression. It is a physical expression. God, you are different. You're holy. That's really what that is. We're bowing our head before you. Sometimes, sometimes when we pray, we do what? We get on our knees. And we pray. Why would we get on our knees? Again, to communicate that we, we are sinful, we are fallen, but God, you are holy. And we come to you bowing before you as the king of all kings. In the scripture, sometimes they will prostrate themselves. I'm not going to do that this morning because I probably would never get back up. And also, my ball spot, spot would probably blind you this morning if I went down like that. <laughs> but they would prostrate themselves, face down to the ground, stretched out completely. Again, why would they do that? Because the posture itself communicated, God, you are holy. It says in Revelation 5, when those 24 elders recognize the holiness of God, what did they do? They fall down before him. They bow before him. You know, the people of God, when they recognized his greatness and his holiness, so often they would, they would bow, they would fall down. Think of the disciples as they travel with Jesus and the storm comes. And then Jesus, in one instance, he walks upon the water out to them. In one instance... He just speaks and the storm is calmed. In both times, as you read through Scripture, it says that the disciples, they marvel or they're amazed. or In some instances, they are afraid. Why would they respond in such a way? Because all of a sudden, through the power of Christ, through the miracle that had been made, they recognized this guy, he is different from us. He is not just another human like us. He is the Son of God. They recognize that. And to be before the Son of God's presence in such a way will somehow strike you. It will make you marvel. It will amaze you. And yes, there will be a godly fear, reverence that will come into your heart and life. So I say to you, when you come to pray to Him and you recognize His holiness, you come before Him and yes, you come with Him to Him in a state of awe. I am thankful, I am thankful 
that Jesus is my best friend. I am thankful that he is the one who has chosen to relate to me, that he loved me while I was a sinner. He still loved me, and he died for me. But oh, how I am thankful as well that he is my God high and lifted up. How thankful I am that he didn't just die on the cross, but he was raised the third day. How thankful I am that he is holy. So when I come to him and I pray and I posture myself appropriately, I recognize the holy other, the totally different God above. May I just ask you this? This is not, not trying to condemn you or bring condemnation on me in any way, but I just want to ask, when was the last time in prayer that you bowed on your knees or that you prostrated yourself? And listen, not just the physical expression, but when was the last time you did that with a surrendered heart? And mind before a holy God. Jesus said, you recognize him as the Father, but you recognize that there is a distance that is there, morally and positionally. He is our Father, which art in heaven. So you say to him, basically, hey, God, I know you are holy. But look at the second part of this. Hallowed be thy name. What Jesus basically expresses there is this. God, I want your holiness to be known to everyone. God, I want all people to know the holiness of your character and person. Hallowed be thy name. This word hallowed, it means to make holy, to set apart. It is found here in this decisive type of verb tense. It means, God, I want you to decisively, I want you to distinctly set apart your name. It's the idea that that name of God would be set apart in such a way that people would see that. They would know that. They would recognize His holiness. They would recognize His glory, and they would be drawn to Him. Now, let me take Really, the last part of the verse first, okay? The idea of the name. For the Hebrews and the Greeks, the name was associated with the person and the character that you're referring to. It's not just about the name, the title itself. It is about the person. And you can see that reflected all through the Old Testament and New Testament. I'm not going to give you all the examples in the Old Testament. There are a lot. But think a moment about the patriarch Jacob. Maybe it's one of the clearest expressions of the name and how it speaks to the character. Jacob meant something like what? Heal. Heal. We are reminded that when he and Esau, his brother, were born, he was grabbing on to the heel of Esau. And... He was named Jacob, the heel. Wouldn't you love to go around being known as that? Yeah, my claim to fame is I was grabbing my brother's heel 
Jacob the hill. But what was interesting is if you, if you look at his name, it also means, I mean, this idea of heal, you can tell it's not something very complimentary today, and it was not in the Old Testament. Jacob can mean something like trickster or deceptive one. You'd love to go into a business deal carrying that name, right? Would you sign right here your name? Yes, I am the trickster. I'm going to sign it here. But here he was carrying this name. Even at one point, Esau, after he had been tricked out of the blessing, or Isaac had been tricked out of the blessing, Esau said something to the effect, well, doesn't my brother live up to his name? Because it spoke to his character. It may have been given to him or assigned to him when he was young, but he lived up to that name. What did God do? When God intervened in his life, when God came and wrestled with Jacob, he changed his name to Israel. Which means maybe one who contends with God or struggles with God, who's met God. Some people also would say that Israel means something like prince. So think about the name change and how it communicated a difference of character in person. In the New Testament, Simon Peter, that's what we call him. But remember, his name was Simon. Jesus looked at him and said, Simon Barjona, you're no longer that Simon Barjona. You're, you have a different name now. Because of the confession that you made, the confession that I am the Christ, because of that, you are now Peter, which means the rock. You are the rock because he had expressed the confession of faith the confession itself which became our rock the foundation of our faith the foundation of our being so God Jesus Christ changed his name Jesus the name means Yahweh saves it's a form of Joshua it just means God saves Speaks to his purpose. Speaks to his personhood. The name always does. You know, I, I kind of wished, well, maybe I don't wish that they would always communicate our personalities through our names today. Maybe that's not a good, maybe it's good that we don't have name changes. I'm not sure what some of us would have. I've often wanted a name change. Ah, yeah, I don't like Reggie. I just don't, never have. I don't know why. My mother tagged me with this name. Because of her grandfather, we called affectionately Daddy Reg. And I became Reggie. Now, my father, who is a great baseball fan, has always disputed that claim. He says, you were born in October. You were named after Mr. October. Reggie Jackson. It's a whole lot better person to be named after than your great-grandfather, he would say. Yes, he would. And then I would have to go in my room and doors would shut and they would discuss those kinds of things. My mother and my dad would. But <laughs> There's something in a name, especially in the Old New Testament, the Hebrew, the Greek idea, there's something in a name. It's about the person. And our God, our God passionately protects his name. His personhood, his character.
Even, even after he had declared himself to Moses. Remember, Moses comes and says, God, I need to know who you are. Give me your name. Tell me, God, who are you? I've got to be able to communicate to Pharaoh. I've got to be able to communicate to the people of God there in Egypt. You've got to tell me who you are. And God says, well, my name is I am that I am. Yahweh, the covenant God that you are seeking. He declared his name. And he's always passionately protected that name. Even in the commandments, as we studied on Wednesday nights not long ago, even in the commandments, we know that one commandment, think of this, think, think of how important this is. One out of ten specifically deals with the name of God. I mean, if we're thinking of the top ten, okay, God chose one of the top ten to say, you do not use my name in vain. And that's more than just speech. I think he's talking about you don't carry it in an empty way. You don't try to use it meaninglessly. He said, you don't do that. Why? Because the name, again, was associated with a character, with a person. If you are somehow using his name in an empty way, then that means you don't think much about the person. You don't recognize his holiness. You don't recognize that he is a different kind of individual. So the name has always been important, and it always speaks to the person. Even in the New Testament, the name of Jesus. We may talk about this on a different day, but even as we pray in the name of Jesus, we know we pray through the person of Jesus. And we have the power and the access to the Father. The name of Jesus. According to the book of Acts, it says... There is no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. Did you hear me? No other name, no other person that brings salvation like Jesus. So there's something about a name. There's something about a person. There's something about a character. So now put this together and think about it. What you are praying, hallowed be thy name. Lord, I want to see your name, your character, your person set apart. I want to see people recognize your holiness. I want to see individuals come and decisively, decisively cry out to you because of your greatness and your goodness. I want the holiness, your holiness, to envelop every person that I know. I want to say to you, that should be our prayer. Friends, when we look across our culture and we look across this world, we know that God's name is, well, it's looked at with contempt in so many circles. It's not the holiness that encompasses people. Rather, individuals have dismissed the holiness of God in many ways all around us. Sometimes it is very apparent. Sometimes it comes in deceptive forms. But in so many ways, the holiness of God has been rejected. And when we come to pray, we recognize, yes, God, you're holy. But God, our heart is that all people, everyone would know 
that you are the holy God of all individuals. You are not just, you are not just restricted to a certain locality. You're not just the God of Ruston. You're not just the God of Louisiana. You're not just the God of the United States. You are God. Simply put, you are high and lifted up. And all people, all people should come to worship you. Because our God passionately pursues the glory of his name. He wants his name to be reflected across this world. Even back in the book of Numbers. Do you know what the goal of this whole thing is? The goal of it all is one day a world filled with his glory. A world that will totally give him praise and worship for who he is. That people will recognize that he is God alone. So we pray that. And let me just say this as we prepare to close. There's a sense in when we pray, God, hallowed be your name. We're also saying, God, as we want people to know that you are holy, God, it's almost like saying, God, begin in us as well. Allow your name to be hallowed within us. Let it to be set apart in who we are and how we communicate. God, we want to be the vessels that will communicate your holiness. So important for us as God's people to just demonstrate that. The book, I guess, of Leviticus, over and over God said, Be holy because I'm holy. He said, You be different, you be set apart. Because I'm different. So you're reflecting my name. You're reflecting my character. When you... When you're disobedient. When you're not surrendered. Somehow, you are tainting my name and my glory. Just recently, I've been preaching on the life of Moses. And if you were here to... Wednesday nights ago, I talked about anger and how anger can consume us. And um, some of you now are looking around saying, man, I wish that we'd have been there. I'd like to have my wife there. I'd like to have my husband there. Why don't you tell us these things before? I talked about, you know, how anger, you you can really have struggle with anger. Moses did, I think, through his life. I'm not going to rehash it all tonight. Should have been there that Wednesday. I'm not going to do it all again today or tonight, but but you remember this decisive moment as we talked about on Wednesday night that Moses came and he was so frustrated with the people of Israel. They had complained and they had complained and he was so frustrated. And he takes this rod and instead of speaking to the rock as God had instructed, he struck the rock twice in anger. I mean, you can hear it. He looks at them and he says, you rebels. And as I said the other night, I have a feeling he added some more things in there. I'm not sure we have the whole record recorded for us in the scripture. I think there's probably a parenthetical little paragraph in there that was God in his wisdom just left out. But 
he was angry. And he hit the rock twice. And God, through his grace, provided the water. But Moses was not able to go into the promised land. You know because of that. And I think, again, because he had demonstrated over those years that he had not been able to master that, tem- that temptation in his life, master anger itself. But it's interesting. I've, I've been reading through it. I've read through it several more times, even since I preached that, because God came to him. And one of the reasons, or maybe the primary reason, that he could not go into the promised land was not because he just got angry. Read the passage. It actually, he, he basically says, you have tainted my name. You have tainted my glory in front of all of the people of Israel. When you lost your cool, when you struck that rock, it communicated to them something that was not holy, something that should not have been in your life. You communicated to them something that took away from my glory and took away from my name. Friends, we fail. I know that. We mess up so often. But our prayer should be, God, keep us through your strength. Empower us daily so that we live in such a way that we would never taint your name before the people around us. God, that we would live in such a way that your name would be set apart, would be hallowed, it would be glorified by others. Some years ago, as I was reading a local poet up in North Mississippi, I know you don't think we have poets in North Mississippi, but I was reading a local one, and I began identifying with him concerning the families that we have and the name that we carry. And he spoke about this this thing, maybe even we have in the South, this culture of carrying the name of our family. And I thought about that. In my household, it was kind of like, you know, you are carrying the bridge's name. Now, I'm not sure that was always something to be proud of, but you know, my parents said, you're carrying the bridge's name. My mother would look at me sometimes and she would say, you know what? You're acting just like those. And she'd call their names down the street. <laughs> I'm not going to mention them here because you may be kin to some of those. But she would say, hey, you're acting like so-and-so. I don't know if your mom ever did anything like that. Probably didn't. Yours was much more holy. Oh, I didn't say that out loud. Strike that before it goes out on the Internet, Andy, please. My mother and daddy listen to this stuff pretty regularly. Um, But basically what they would say is, you act like bridges. You, You uphold the name. If you are a self-professed believer in Jesus Christ, you've decided to follow him, you never forget you carry his name. You carry his name in your family, before your spouse, before your kids. You carry his name to your grandkids. You carry his name when you go into the workplace. I don't care. Some of you say, well, I'm not in just this Christian. If you are a believer in Christ, you carry that name wherever you go. And for those of us that carry that precious name, the only name that is worthy of praise, 
The only name that has the power to save. The only name that can give us the strength for each day. As we carry that name, may we carry that name. May we set it apart. May we hallow that name in our own personal lives. May we never taint his glory. But may we demonstrate his glory to all people so that they would come to be able to gather around the throne and worship this person, this holy one, this one and only God that we serve. May we be those people. Today we pray and we say, God, you are holy. And we demonstrate that holiness in our speech, in our physical expression, in everything that we do. And we pray, God, we pray, God, we want all people to know that holiness. Would you join me in that unified prayer this morning as we commit ourselves to him, even in this moment of invitation? Let's pray. God, oh God, thank you for being totally different, for being morally pure, for being righteous, for being, Lord, great in power and in majesty. Thank you that we can come to you in such a way through your Son. God, I pray that you once again Lord, penetrate our hearts with your holiness. God, that you would help us to see afresh you high and lifted up. I pray, Lord, that we would be unafraid to get on our knees. Father, I pray that you would help us to express your holiness in our lives. And God, yes, I pray. That first, your name would be hallowed in who we are, set apart in our actions daily. But God, I pray that all people, all people here in our families, here in our community, here in our state, nation, and across this world, that all would have the opportunity to gather around your throne and to express your worthiness and your holiness. Father, help us now as we seek you and as we cry out to you, as we talk to you, our holy God. It's in Jesus' name, by his authority that I pray this morning. Amen. Would you stand?